Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear Sunday's sermon, along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. The text from the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John that we've heard read this morning was chosen several weeks ago. Chapter 17 of John is often called the high priestly prayer of Jesus because he offered it just hours before his trial, his crucifixion, and death. I imagine John, the beloved disciple, resting his head near Jesus' lap or feet, listening to this heartfelt prayer as Jesus was praying in the dark garden on that night so long ago. The Gospels tell us that Jesus would often pray. He would go away to take time to pray. He would pray in the night, in the early morning. Rarely are the prayers recorded, but this deeply moving prayer is a glimpse into the emotions of Christ, into his heart, into his desires and longings for the future. And they included, this prayer included us. Over the years, these verses have brought me comfort to know that Jesus was praying for me, that he was praying for you, he was praying for us. He was praying for all of us who would come to believe since that time, 2,000 years ago, when he was living his life on earth. He prays that those who are with him in that time and space would be one. And he prays that we who would believe because of their witness would be one as well. Now, being one is not being the same. It doesn't mean having all the same thoughts, ideas, opinions, but it's like being in a family where there are differences, but there is a unity, where there can be disagreements or differences of opinion, but there is unity, there is love. And Jesus offers this prayer, and then he says, so that, now this is the kicker, so that, he says, The world may know that Jesus was sent from God and that the love of God for him is also the love of God for us. The longing of Jesus' heart was for us to be united in our love for him and that we would love others with an unconditional and everlasting love. When I was in seminary, I heard a lecture by a preaching professor who said that as we prepare sermons, we should have the Bible in one hand and the New York Times in the other. 
She was from New York. <laughs> but that's what I've been doing for the last couple of weeks. Listening to the news, watching the horrors, with this text of chapter 17 of John swirling in my head. That the world may know, Jesus prayed. Jesus wants us to live in such a way that the world may know that God is love and that love is the very essence, the core, and the purpose of Jesus being sent into the world. Now, I must admit that over these last few days I've, that I've been living with this text, there have been many moments when I have asked myself and God how am I loving others in this way? For I have been distraught, I have been angry, and sadly, I have had hate-filled moments. I've talked back to the television and to politicians. I have cried and grieved for parents and grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, family, friends, as they scream out in disbelief. That their cherished ones have been slain. I have despaired for the world, for our nation, for our community, and for our children. I suspect you have had similar emotions. I want to share with you an email that the pastors received this week. It comes from a member of our congregation who is a mother who has school-aged children. And she has given me permission to share parts of this email with you. Here's what she says. I don't want to pray right now. I don't want to pray people's hearts will change. The phrase, we offer thoughts and prayers, makes me want to turn away in disgust. So I don't want to pray about this anymore, especially when thoughts and prayers are being slung about almost as a weapon by the same people enabling the slaughter of babies. Yet, we refuse to take action to protect actual flesh and blood children who are here and have hopes and dreams and fears from being shot in the face with an automatic weapon in their school. There is an unsaid knowing that it is too much and we can't talk about any of this anymore. In the last month alone, it has been Ukraine, an assault on women's and girls' rights, book banning, LGBTQ bullying and attacks, and children being slaughtered. It feels like with every turn, our country, the church at large, just prays into the abyss and hopes eventually that alone will be enough to make the evil stop and people's hearts will change. But it doesn't. 
Do you hear her anguish? Do you understand her pain of not wanting to pray? Can you relate? I can. It is understandable to feel helpless or that what we might offer or say or do will have little influence over what needs to be changed. It's easy to think that thoughts and prayers are a code word for doing nothing, for a way of sidestepping speaking out, of taking a stand or working for change. A few years ago, the Barna Group, which is a research com country, company, conducted a survey across the United States asking young non-Christians what their perception of Christians were. And here are the top three answers. Christians are anti-gay, judgmental, and hypocritical. The world has seen Christians blow up abortion clinics carrying signs that says God hates fags. The world has seen Christians spew hatred for groups of people based on their religion, ethnicity, and country of origin. The world has seen leaders claiming to be followers of Christ use platitudes, scripture misquotes, and outright lies to speak on behalf of God. Now I know that there are more Christians who do not do these things and speak and live this way and, than those who do, and you do too. But what I'm saying is that Jesus prayed that we would each and every one of us live love in action. We live in a world that is desperately being wooed by power and wealth protection of personal pleasure, an insensitivity to the needs of others, and a lack of responsibility for caring for one another. How do we respond? How do we live so that the world may know that God is love and that Jesus loves them? It is time to use our voices, our resources, our bodies, our minds, our souls to speak out against violence and hatred, injustice and hypocrisy. We must act as a testimony to the fact that we are followers of the God of love who came into the world to love the world so that the world would be saved from the destruction of hatred, injustice, and self-righteousness. This congregation is an active and engaged in caring for those who are in need. And we give our time and our talents, our finances, and we are a witness to Jesus Christ. But what if this text is challenging us to consider what else? What more? If we spent time thinking about what Jesus prayed for us in the light of recent events, is it possible that we might discover that we can do more, 
that we should do more, that the Spirit is nudging us, inviting us, leading us to become engaged in new ways. This prayer of Jesus is certainly challenging me, challenging me to question, am I doing enough? Should I be doing more? Instead of being a watcher from afar to become active in bringing about changes that protect children and demonstrate the inclusive love of Christ to all he met. One of my professors at seminary used to call the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, a life of disarming love. He met an outcast woman at a well in a country where there was hatred towards him as a Jew. He engaged her in conversation, he talked to her, there was reconciliation and forgiveness and he stayed for three days. He turned over tables in the temple when he saw that people were being cheated and the very expressions of worship were being used for personal gain. He touched lepers, he held children, he taught women, he ate with zealots who wanted to overthrow the government and tax collectors. He Excuse me. He healed a young man who had his ear cut off by one of his own disciples carrying a sword. He lived a life of disarming love. And he prayed that we would live that way too. So what does that look like? It could be raising our voice in a new way, spending our resources, our time, our energy, risking our reputations and our relationships. Disarming love might mean joining a protest, signing a petition, writing a letter or an email, getting an appointment with your elected official to share your thoughts and concerns. It might mean traveling to a new place to stand in solidarity with those who grieve. It might mean being misunderstood, having your heart hurt and your mind opened. Friends, Jesus prayed that we would do something, that we would love in a disarming way, in a culture that asks us and expects us to just go along. And so it's time to put disarming love on the streets. It's time to go and do something that we may never have thought about doing. It's time for the sake of the world. May it be so. Hear these words from Teresa of Avalie. She was a mystic of the 15th century. Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. 
Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands which he blesses, with which he blesses the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, you are his body. Christ has no body now, but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Christ has no body on earth, but yours. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.